Welcome to Nakedly Examined Music, a podcast about songs and songwriting. My name is Mark Lintonmeyer. For more information about this podcast, please see nakedlyexaminedmusic.com. My guest for episode 34 is Todd Long. You're right now listening to him playing drums for, not singing, not writing, but this was the big hit of his classic band, Molly, from their last album, The Finger, 2003. We are, of course, here going to be focusing on songs he did write, including one from his current project, Carterson. We'll talk about The Last Time from his brand new EP called Richfield Skyline. And we'll look back a couple years to his band Star Darts. The song is called Say It from the album Shooting Star Darts, 2014. And we'll look back even further to his song 44 Days from the band Dutch Henry and their album All That Space from 2007. And if there's a theme running through here, it's his voyage from the back row to the front row. He did write some songs for Molly. He was not allowed to sing them. By the time he got to Dutch Henry, he wrote still a small minority of the songs. Sometimes he did get to sing them, and his backing vocal was a key part of the sound of that band. But with Star Darts, that was all his project. And then Carterson is really all just him by himself. To learn more, please check out ToddLongMusic.com. So I will have played Another Day of Regrets a little bit during my intro from The Finger from yep. Molly. So first, I guess, how old are you? <laughs> I am 42. So it's about the same as me. So just as an orienting matter. So you're in Mali for like 10 years, right? A long damn time. Yeah, a long time. <laughs> Through most of the 90s. I see this album was from 2003. And that was strictly drumming? Or did you write some for that as well? I wrote some for that too. But I did play drums. So I was uh-huh. a drummer that wrote music. Okay. And it would still be Johnny that would sing it even if you wrote it. Correct. He was the front guy, you know? Yeah. And then with your Verve Pipe years, I looked on their Wikipedia page, you're listed under former members, but then they have an actual little timeline of all the members and you're not even on there. Where where were you in? I was just within the last like year and a half. Oh, okay. Recently. All right. It was after a Christmas show that my band Dutch Henry played a show with those guys. Well, let me go back farther than that. Brian Vanderark from the Verve Pipe signed Molly to his little independent label while they were still on RCA records called Sid Flips. So Brian took us into the studio, made an album called Sex Cells, and he shopped us to RCA. We did a bunch of showcases for like Columbia and stuff like that, and we never got picked up. And then after our contract ended with Brian, we went on to Idol Records which had Sponge at the time and a band called Flickerstick. These are all, I know Sponge is a Michigan band. This is Flickerstick as well. Flickerstick's a Dallas band. They were on VH1's Band on the Run. They Ah. won that show. So we released the record, The Finger, with Idol Records, and then we got a Japanese deal through that. So after The Finger, the band just broke up. But it was after that that you submitted all this stuff for potential inclusion in TV shows and things? Yep, it was people that worked at Idol Records, They submitted us, and then we actually signed up for someplace out of New York that places songs and TV shows and stuff, and we submitted our stuff and got chosen for that. So we're still... To this day, I can go on ASCAP and see, you know, all the reruns of Best Week Ever or whatever that all of our songs are getting played on and stuff. It's pretty cool. Nice. All right, so Dutch Henry was the next band? Dutch Henry was the next band after that, and I played drums and still wrote music Uh for that, and I was in that band for just until couple of years ago so 10 11 12 years or something all right and then the star darts that you became the front guy how did that happen i just had some songs sitting around and wanted to record them so i just enlisted some buddies and we recorded a, i think it was eight song record and 
I submitted it to Tinderbox for college radio release. And then from there, we got picked up to this label in Canada called Attack Media Group. And it was supposed to be distributed through Universal. And that like just kept getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. So we decided to not do that and got picked up through this management group out of Nashville. And we just released the record through them. Then we released another EP, three songs on our own after that. It was all just some buddies getting together and seeing what we could do with these songs. And it did pretty well. Well, and you have a slick looking video I saw. Oh, yeah. And that was a buddy who did that. So Then the last thing. So did that actually, did people quit that? Or was that not even like a, I saw you did a live thing as a four piece there. So did that actually break up or what happened in terms of the transition from that to Carterson here? The same guys that were in the Stardarts, we were all in a cover band too called the Electric Red. Ah. And I just disbanded the Stardarts and wanted to make some money instead. So we just kept doing the Electric Red. Yeah, I also saw you doing a, a solo show at a casino online, you know, part of that. That seems to be the only outlet right now for Carterson, right? Is you're doing solo shows exactly yep and i have the single hearts on the highway is getting released through play mpe they're distributing the single well let's get quickly to actually playing some music here so the last time was the one it's only three songs in the ep this is the last one can you give us a few introductory words before it plays the more i uh, listen to this song it kind of reminds me of like johnny from molly's relationship with his ex-wife so i'm going on the the fact that it's based on his relationship with her. <laughs> well, that's better than it being your relationship. <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
This is all you, this is all home recorded, right? Yep, I had a couple friends play on it, but pretty much it's all me. All recorded in my apartment. Did you take it somewhere to get mixed, or you uh, you did that part as well? I mixed it all on my own and ah. did online mastering. So. Online mastering, okay. And then you got this Highway Driver Records. How did you hook up with them in terms of, you don't have a live band, <laughs> you've got a resume, and it seems like this label, by the name of it, I can only imagine, is specifically for country inflected stuff right, it's, yep it's country and not what you were most recently known for so how did you get them to pay attention to you here actually they're an upstart michigan label ah. and i'm the first act on it and they just signed another guy from um ludington michigan john merchant is his okay. name he's pretty much doing the same thing i am from the ground up you know his songs i played some drums on it and it's just weird how it's going it's everything is so dyi you know these days that it's so weird from when we were growing up you know let's uh look at the arrangement here i know that you had some professional country folks play on some of the other songs but this one all the the banjo is still you and the mandolin is that right the banjo, I actually found a guy on YouTube. Okay, really? And he said that he would play on it, and I don't even know the guy's name. <laughs> and I take it he did not send you a lot of takes. No. <laughs> okay. He did not. It was one time through, and you know, I moved it around and added some delay to make it a little better. <laughs> sure. Kind of the weirdest things to me. You know, I was trying to think, how would the treatment be different if you were going into a studio and doing pretty much the same production that you did for the Dutch Henry song, which is, is right. a much slicker... For this style of music, it of course, it works great. And it's such an honest, straight-ahead song. It's kind of a weird mix of stuff because the chorus, this is the last we'll say goodbye and I will always love you, just that anthemic thing repeated. You know, that could be just like an 80s power ballad. Right, exactly. But it's that you've put it in this sort of country setting, which the banjo is the biggest indicator of that. And then also your voice, 
has, you know, I certainly noticed in the star darts where you're getting almost into kind of green day territory on punk exactly. territory. I understand that. Like the, they do it all the time voice where you're, you're really spitting here. And this song, there's a little bit of that in parts of it in the verses, but even just as you're starting off, you know, everything is just much more laid back. And, uh, I don't know, is that just being able to do it a million times in your house and kind of just being relaxed about it? I, I think so. I mean, the, the intro banjo, that's me playing that. Oh, okay. Feeling, feeling, thing the guy played was a solo on it so everything else on that is me gotcha yeah no it sounds it's a nice layering and as you hit the chorus which again could be a big 80s thing and so you have to like have this warm pad that you're setting up in it just got these kind of descending guitar riffs and you got your little backing vocals i was trying to figure out how much is actually going on there it seemed like it was just the mandolin going throughout a couple is it three guitars four guitars how no, there's a ukulele that my wife bought me in Hawaii. Wow. So Hawaiian guitar. That, and there's electric strumming guitar, electric picking guitar, I think. And there's some like lap steel bands that I did on guitar. I was wondering about that. Like, you don't really hear the lap steel until like the very last note of the song that it ends with it. Like, oh, this was a country song. Like, in case you didn't know. <laughs> right. Let me just say my final stamp was, oh, country bands. But I didn't hear that throughout. <laughs> yeah. If you listen to the solo, there's some little bends, like where, where it breathes. There's some uh, country bends in there. And it makes a lot more sense. Uh, you know, I also, in my last album, I had people do stuff over the internet and send them to me. And, and I could right. see, like, he sent you these banjo riffs. And probably, like, that's not, like, enough to fill the whole space. So it sounds like you wrote these call and response. So he's got his little tick tick ding And then you can do chim-chim. You can do a little strummy part to, to answer that. And set him up, you know, so that you don't have to be able to... I think it's after his second little riff. You've got a really... You know, it sounds like, yeah, exactly. Like that you can really set it up. Like I'm going to do a punch in of this one cool thing that maybe, you know, (laughs) have you been playing guitar as long as you've been playing drums? Is it just one of those things that I started playing drums in fifth grade? My mom taught me how to play drums. And then, so did you add guitar sort of as you needed it? Or was this just, that's the thing that you write on. And so you were still doing that from high school in some form on. We'd have band practice at my house when we were growing up and the guys would leave their guitars there. So I would just sit around strumming and trying to figure out chords and stuff because we didn't have internet back then or anything to tell us how to play these things. <laughs> so then I just got acoustic. Well, my sister got an acoustic and then I in- inherited it or stole it or took it over. And then love just sitting around strumming and writing songs and figuring out how to play songs. And So actually putting little lead licks in is new to this project. Right, because okay. I'm I'm not a lead guy at all. I'm, no, I have I have the same my, thing. My fingers don't want to do anything. Punching in is a wonderful thing, <laughs> or yeah. know, doing little bits and moving them around. Yeah, so I guess tell me a little more about the specifics of how these lyrics came together. This thread in the rope is making me choke. Is there any answer to that? It's just you're sitting down. I have no idea. I was just literally, I was just sitting at the computer. And I was just making up stuff as I went. There was no rhyme or reason to any of it. And Was this actually written and recorded at the same time, basically? Exactly. Okay. Everything right. was done in one or two days, you know, while my baby was sleeping. I would sneak away and, and write some lyrics and sing it at the same time. So was the, the basic chord progression first and, and then you're at or you're just doing this all in one swoop i had the from sitting around with the acoustic you know the chord progression and stuff but then oh you know a picking guitar would sound cool here so let me just 
layer that on top of it, layer upon layer upon layer of guitar stuff until something worked. Well, and is that phaser or flanger on the banjo at the beginning? <laughs> That's a phaser on there. Yeah. Where it like sucks in. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And then, and then uh, it sounds like some of the guitar parts have, have a little tremolo effect on them. So this is all just digital magic of let's just make it thicker somehow without having to record four extra parts. Right. There's no, Guitar amps, it's all pod stuff, and bass is direct in through a compressor pedal, and everything's just acoustic, has a mic on it, and direct in. It's all pretty much nothing loud where the neighbors are going to be pissed off at me. I'm in an apartment. So. Yeah, so also in that in that bridge, answering the banjo riff besides your little guitar parts, it sounds like, is there a little keyboard part in there, or is that you doing little vocal noises, or what? <laughs> That's the, um, the steel, like the pedal steel wannabe stuff. So you have an actual pedal steel in your house just to... No, 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 no. That's guitar simulated. Yeah, faking it. Watched it on YouTube, how to do pedal steel bends with on guitar. Nice. Self-taught on pretty much a lot of stuff. The weird thing about the banjo riff is it kind of actually leaves the chord. It's an unexpected mode that comes out of that. Is that what you asked him or he just did what he did and you said, oh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> I just said, you know, it's in the key of G and he just did some riffs, I think, and sent them my way. <laughs> Are they all there? Let me, let me ask you. So <laughs> all of that, he sent me three riffs and they're all there. Okay. I've had places where, you know, like, oh, I like that one riff and let me copy it three times and add a delay here. And like, just something to fill the space or have to be a little creative. Right. That third riff on there is very like swingy and doesn't really fit, but it's cool because it doesn't fit. I guess. Yeah. The, well, the last one that actually kind of where he's putting in the extra notes, like doing the little guitar soloist thing that now I'm going to freak out a little before we're done here. It almost sounds like it might be out of key, but it's like an accidental F in there or something that sounds. Yeah. Yeah. That's bluesy. So it's weird. Yeah, exactly what I had in mind. The hitting the dominant in there, the it's pretty constant throughout that solo, like that he's playing in some different mode than, than I would expect. Yeah. <laughs> This was aimed at being a, a country rock thing. What does that actually mean? Like, I, I wish I could do like a Chris Stapleton type thing, but my voice doesn't allow it. So I don't know. I more like a Gin Blossoms or Matchbox 20 or something like that, you know, feel to it where it's more pop rock with some like Matchbox 20 had a song that had banjo in it. I remember. And sure. And it's like, what are you guys doing? But now I get it, you know, at the time being 20 something i'm like what are you guys doing but now it's cool to me you know yeah and it seems like a, a way that you can do vulnerable light music without it sounding desperate at all because it's kind of a mode a culturally established mode that you click in right i mean i love that stuff and that's what i grew up on but <laughs> first one i don't have the hair anymore <laughs> i tore the pipes to sing try and sing something like that yes know? it's not journey or uh... no <laughs> Well, let's get the second song on the table and we can keep talking about sort of what makes one choose a particular style at a particular time. So this is Say It from the Star Darts, a more straightforwardly power pop 90s-ish alternative 
kind of thing, which has more of, this is not the song where you really turn on the Green Day punk voice. There's a little bit of search at the end of the bridge where you almost, it almost sounds like Billy Corgan is coming in, coming in where it gets a little... A little snotty. A little... <laughs> just the way the, the note happens to, to trickle off. So this is, this is another one where we've got sort of the light voice when we're starting it, and then occasionally, you know, it gets a little heavier. So the tune is Say It, this 2014 off the Shooting Star Darts album. Anything in particular about this song? I remember having it as an acoustic demo, giving it to Dutch Henry back in the day, probably, I don't know, eight years ago or something. And they kind of, because they were more, definitely more country. Sure. So I just kept it around for myself and finally finished it, you know, eight years later or whatever. I don't know. It just had a real pop sound to it. And I just liked it, how it's like, you, me, you, it kind of goes back and forth like that during one of the verses, I think. And you know that, I know that, you know that, I know. Yeah, yep. It does that, you know, just kind of silly stuff like that, you know. I think even uh, maybe Eddie Murphy or Richard Pryor said that or something in the, one of his stand-up to know. I know that, you know that, I know that, you know. So... Already over you Next time I'll have better things to do
you know, this was something you initiated. It was songs you had lying around. Was it still a matter of getting a whole group together and tightening stuff up before you went in the studio here? Or was this, again, kind of a build it as you go? This was definitely a build it as you go. Um, I played drums on that record, Shooting Star Darts, and I played some guitar and sang. And then another buddy played leads on it and rhythm. And then another buddy played bass on it and they owned a studio in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So we went to, into their studio and just built it up. Well, and even the guitar solo, I mean, it sounds like something terrifically melodic in that it sounds like something you could have just sang at him. Was that dictated or was that just his deal? He was going for like a Fountains of Wayne type feel and they sure. had a lot of bendy notes on it. So I just let him be himself and do what he loves to do. And all the solos are played by Brent Novak. He's a great guy and great musician and probably one of my best friends. So it was great to play alongside one of my best friends, you know. The chorus here, it's delicate, but you don't have to say it. You're breathing me in every little way. It's irrelevant, but you don't have to say it. You're bleeding me in every single way which I've played the cars just what I needed live in almost every band that I've been in. So the, I needed someone to bleed having that juxtaposition of like the nice thing, the breathing, but, but it's also bleeding me. (laughs) I completely, do you remember anything about where this came from at the time? I know that you said this is a very old song. I think probably I was going through a tough time with like an ex-girlfriend or something and she was nagging me all the time and it was just an uncomfortable situation. I just, I just wanted my space and it was just, in my face all the time, I guess. I had just gotten divorced and stuff. The thing that one does not have to say, is it a specific thing or is it just get off my case? You don't have to say every little thing. Right, that is, exactly. There you go. Every little thing you find wrong with me, you don't have to actually put it in words. Say it, and... right? exactly. <laughs> you don't have to say it, you know. <laughs> so really nice guitar layering. I mean, I just, I really like the production on this song and it has a very 80s feel to me. Again, you've got a nice big bright chorus doing the the country thing to make it big and nice it's got just a wash of guitars i wrote birdsy that it sort of has this that's what i associate you know when you've got a constant guitar line that that's the thing that's filling it it's not a strum 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 it's a you know not quite an arpeggio but it's a repeating riff somebody uh, said that there was a band before oh shoot what's the band that sings don't dream it's over crowded house yeah that there was a band that they were in before and that song was like almost spot on with them split ends is the name of the band and i see what that means just in that their big hit starts with chick 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 in the same thing but so does every single car song right <laughs> ever made so i see the comparison but uh okay that band was known as as having a giant wash of keyboards so you don't have the 80s in in that <laughs> in that sense here so getting a big walloping the happy sound in the chorus here using the background vocals obviously an easy thing to do especially then when you repeat this that so you've got sort of i put a super chorus <laughs> like the third time it happens that it's not even just that you're layering over the lyrics from the bridge you say all the stupid things that you say all the stupid games that you play that you're doing that extra layering thing but it, the chords change up somehow in there do you remember what's going on there <laughs> i just remember it bouncing back between e a and c sharp and like you said using the same maybe the chorus over top of the bridge it just fit even though it's 
musically not the same. Sure. So it's just the old trick of building it up to the end payoff, the big payoff. Right. I mean, it's such a concise song. It gets to this big chorus 39 seconds in. I wrote, I wrote that we're just really getting eight seconds of intro and you got the verses and there it is. And so, you know, you've done this twice by the time you get to a minute and a half. So like, what, what the hell else are you going to do? There was an old saying, don't bore us, get us to the chorus so that we, <laughs> we live by that. <laughs> Yeah, and then doing the, what are you going to do under the solo? Well, instead of doing, having him solo over the same thing, I'll play it. Let's play the chorus light. Let's do, let's go into a marching thing. Dun, 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 just to kick it up pretty quick. It's three riffs and, and it's out that he's just, again, as concise in the guitar solo as you are in the rest of the song. Right. And I think Van Halen used to do that where they'd switch up the chords during the solo instead of like solo over a verse mm-hmm. or a chorus, you know? So that was taken from them, their idea. Well, especially if you don't have a second guitar, as Van Halen did. So, like, what are you going right. to do under that? Like, well, let's have the drums and bass go boom, boom, boom together. Like, that'll be something. And then I love in the bridge that you've, you've got your little chick-chick guitar, but then another chick-chick guitar that's doing a little... Just coloring, you know? Right. So is that the kind of thing that you just worked out again in the studio like how are we going to make this interesting just build it while we were there sure <laughs> so then you had to learn this stuff to play it live i don't know i'll have to go go <laughs> back and watch the videos and see how bad it was <laughs> i haven't watched them in a long time i know there's a couple concerts so. yeah yeah no i was watching one of those and besides that in the video you were doing like just the vocalist and you had gotten a mohawk for the time or something like it was oh, in the video, right? In the, in the video. And then by the time you're playing out with the band, you know, you're filling out all the rhythm guitar parts and uh, seemed like a pretty strong vocal band. I mean, did everybody, did you have everybody actually yeah. sing their parts on this with the idea of they want to hear themselves on the final recording or did you just layer them yourself just to get it done? I just layered it myself, but um, we did have three vocalists in the band, but usually only the bass player sang because the drummer would play to a click track, you know, so. Sure. But he's, the drummer was the stronger vocalist, but we wanted to be a tighter band, I guess, live, you know. Let's get the third song out there. So the Dutch Henry, which I did watch the greater part of a gig from, I guess you've been playing together for quite a long time Oh yeah. <laughs> by that time. And it's just a wonderfully brutal, nice, heavy, you you'd said it's the clash with country influence or something was the the tagline greg miller doing most of the singing this particular song was the one let's have the drummer sing one but you were great harmonies on everything that it seemed like you were the main harmony guy for that whereas when i saw the uh, molly live video it was it always seems to depend on like what order you join the band in do they already have the harmonies worked out and then you join like well i have a good voice too and you have to wait for the like the second guy to quit before you get to do more of the harmony <laughs> or right that's that sounds about right <laughs> <laughs> or it's just too hard you know with drums to like have an extra mic back there <laughs> Yeah, that is gets a little overwhelming sometimes. But unless, like with Dutch Henry, that's kind of the point of the band that you sell it as it's two old friends doing this thing. That's exactly what it was. It was two old friends, and then two other friends joined the band. So exactly right. So anything particular about forty four days here? That was a song I wrote, and it's just about being out on the road. Dutch Henry, you know, did a lot of road dates. And yeah, it's just about being out on the road and missing your loved one and not being faithful. I guess. And, all that good road stuff that happens. <laughs> yes. So this is 2007. So this is before the divorce. That was before the divorce. <laughs> okay. From all that space, again, Dutch Henry. 
Now, do all these bands still exist in some form? I just saw you on YouTube, just you and Greg Miller, the guy that sings most of the songs that harmonizes you here, doing something in 2013, opening for Cracker. That's just before the band broke up, or does this still exist in some form? That was before the band broke up, but there is a acoustic duo. John and Greg go out and play as the guitars of Dutch Henry and do acoustic shows, but I haven't played with those guys in a couple of years. And then did Molly have a reunion? I saw something, some little like TV spot for that. Yeah, we did, but um, Johnny, the singer, passed away, so ah. nobody even really speaks anymore. It's, it's kind of sad, you know? So that was like in 2013 or something? I thought I saw the video was it could have been something that was recorded quite a bit before that it was something on local michigan tv oh yeah that was probably seven or eight years ago or something where they were talking like oh are you guys gonna get back together this is like muskegon phenomenon (laughs) (laughs) yeah molly was pretty big in grand rapids muskegon area so yeah that was johnny had came back from california and um we just did a couple shows and then he went back to california and that was last time we had performed i think ah yeah well let's talk uh dutch henry here so tell me a little about the again you've got these bunch of band experiences where you're exerting increasingly more power that by the time you get to start art it's your thing even in this band you said it's you and greg the friends starting this together but this is like the one song that you had and you said you tried to do the uh, say it and they didn't go for that what was the dynamic like that was it just that Greg was a very prolific guy and you were less prolific at the time. And, you know, what's the dynamic in terms of getting your songs actually played? Well, Greg is a lot, well, not a lot older, probably like 10, 11 years older than I am, I guess. So there's a big generation gap. You know, they didn't get the hairband thing. And John and I love that. We were only a couple years apart. And there was a love of like the replacements and the Beatles and stuff like that, that we all kind of, you know, ganged up together and that was our stuff. So that's where, you know, 44 Days is like a sloppy, replacement-y type song. And they let me sing that one. <laughs> I wrote another one called San Diego off that record. And Greg actually wanted a chance singing it. So, you know, he sang it. But okay. We took a lot of chances of, you know, you try and sing this song, even if it's not your song. Sure. You know, who sounds better. So Yeah, I mean, I always wonder about the, I don't know, the best band dynamic is sort of when everybody is being as generous as possible in terms of, uh, oh yeah, yeah, we'd be happy to do more of your songs. If you don't happen to bring them in, that's fine. <laughs> we can still do 80% right. my songs, but I've, I made you the offer. <laughs> and so there's goodwill and it's not like, oh, you've got a lot of songs, but I only like 10% of them. That's going to uh, happen with every band though, you know? <laughs> well, it just depends where people are in their writing careers. Right. If, if there's no other writers. Right. Unfortunately, it's a very, what works is a dynamic. And one point, of course, doesn't stick that way as the people develop, like George Harrison right there in the Beatles. Like when he was starting, that's fine to have two songs on an album. But by the time you do five albums like that and somebody, you know, they're gnashing their teeth with all this right. repressed. Uh, like I just saw this band Sloan from Canada live oh, recently yeah. that that was another band that started in the 90s as sort of a grunge thing. Are you familiar with the, like their couple hits? Yep. Yeah. And then, in fact, I think it was the rhythm section quit. And to get the band back together and to sort of make it a stable entity, it just became, okay, everybody gets 25% of the pie in terms of we'll do 25% of your songs. It doesn't matter that one guy is a better singer than everybody. <laughs> like, that's just the way that we have to do it for everybody to feel happy. Right. I think that's the best way to keep a band together, too, is to divide everything up equally. You know, there's a lot of bands that 
if the singer writes the hit, the singer will get the money and you're screwed. I have, you know, a couple buddies that are in big bands that did that. And now they're not even friends anymore. You know, they won't even talk to each other over stupid stuff like that. So you got to be equal, you know. On the other hand, if you're writing a song every two weeks and well, like yeah. feel like I am the genius of the band, I am the, <laughs> it is my vision that has brought this thing to life, then, well, you played a cool drum part on the song. Right, I guess. You, know, Do you get 25% of royalty, you know. <laughs> It's a negotiation. Right. You know, it always seems like when, when a band hits big with a particular combination, it's because that combination is good. Like even if, right. <laughs> if the drummer wasn't as good, it wouldn't have been a hit. It wouldn't have been that thing. And so like doing what you can do, I remember seeing a documentary about the clash recently where they kind of did the same thing. And like, ah, the drummer is being unruly. Let's kick him out. Right. But then it just, no, it, it ruined it. It was like the way, <laughs> The step toward the end. Peter Chris didn't get a lot of love with his songs on Kiss Records. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you get that one track, you know, Baby Driver. And well, nobody really likes Baby Driver that much. <laughs> yeah. On the other hand, you could have bands that become so democratic that like, well, the public only really likes the songs by the one guy. But like, that's what we got to do. <laughs> yeah. Like the Goo Goo Dolls, you know, the bass player has songs on there, but he never gets any love. <laughs> He sings songs on his rec- on the records, you know, but Johnny Resnick's the guy who always ah. gets his singles released and stuff. Yeah, bands have broken up over that. Or uh, the Posies, another 90s. Yeah, so it's two guys, you know, a real Lennon-McCartney sort of thing. And from what I understand, the bass player on the first couple albums, like, was producing more and more material. And so for the second or third album, like, they recorded a bunch of them and then decided... I guess we'd rather kick you out of the band than include these things on the album. <laughs> oh, wow. Or I don't know if, who initiated the thing, but it's a... Uh... Yeah, I saw those guys in Grand Rapids, and there was like was this big, huge room. There was like five people there during their heyday. I was like, oh, man, great show for me, though. I got to see it up close and personal. Yes, those are the shows that I tend to go into now, where I can like stand right at the front, and it's not going to be... <laughs> it's, I'm not going to pay $60. It's not worth yeah. it. Well, let's get back to uh, 44 Days just a little bit more in terms of the, was this even more produced than the Say It one? This is like an actual, you've got some nice guitar layering here. John Beelan from the Flying Burrito Brothers actually uh, produced that Dutch Henry record. Damn. So yeah, it was a pretty big deal. And we went up and locked ourselves in a cabin pretty much and tried to get the best stuff we could. And it was so much fun and literally recorded it in a barn. You know, it was really cool experience. Again, was this something that you threshed out on the road before going into the studio or were like, where are we going to put the lead guitars? Was that determined as part of the recording? There was four singers in Dutch Henry and four writers. So we all brought in our own stuff like 44 days. You know, I played drums and I could play guitar and stuff. So I pretty much demoed it. And I actually played a version, you know, where I did a guitar solo and Greg pretty much emulated that guitar oh. solo on there, which was huge compliment to me because Greg's a monster guitar player. I'll let them do whatever they want to do on it. You know, I'm not a stickler on that. So again, the generosity, right. <laughs> that's great. Like not, you must play. I just, I love the riff. I came up on guitar, but I can't really play it. Can you please do that? No, it's like, here's you the thing, yourself. <laughs> but do what you want to do. And the guy, Oh, right. of course I'll play your thing. That's, right. So I was like, Holy cow. So that was just huge. You know, did you get to play the acoustic on the final track? No, I just played drums and sang. Okay. One take at the vocals on that one too. So, wow. <laughs> A few lines in here. So when we get to verse two, we've got this like new, high guitar riff texture where we're some rem sort of 
things going on here. I've got an ugly picture hanging over my bed. But as I call you from the road, I need you to know I love you, girl. But I feel half said. That's the best line, the half said. We actually changed that in the studio. From what? I think it was probably half dead or something. I'm just overtired from being on the road. But after being on the phone, you know, you, you don't feel like you've said everything you want to say. Yes. So I feel half said. <laughs> that's a nice tweak. So that's that riff that you said you came up with? Yep, that was my riff. Yeah, which that again has the, I almost, you know, I'm sounding like a little like I'm playing a steel, that kind of bendy thing. Oh yeah, Greg's fingers are so long, I've never seen anybody with such long fingers. So he could, <laughs> his bends are ridiculous. Those are more like the Zeppelin-y bends, you know, the like a cat getting its tail stepped on. <laughs> and then the way that you guys made this one work toward the end, after that, the chorus happens three times, and the third time, the voice is going, the voices are going higher, that we're really, we're opening it up here. And then you have this group riff that you end together, and then it just fades into, let's just strum the acoustic guitar a little bit. Not even like continuing to play, it's like starting an extra chord. It's just the sound of the acoustic guitar playing a chord, just to put it in there. I thought that I was, think a- that was an, an accident, I think, from like the acoustic track, you know, just going on, playing after the song was done, you know. So I think it was an accident, actually. Well, yeah, that's the kind of cool stuff that you discover when you're mixing, like, well, let's just do that. You said this was super produced. How did the production actually take its toll on here? Was it a matter of, oh, put that extra guitar part over verse two? What is the producer actually doing in this when you have a real guy in there, you know, as opposed to some of these other projects? Not so much on this song. This song was pretty basic, but there was another Dutch Henry song. I don't know if you went and listened to much of this stuff. Yeah, no, I listened to the whole album. Did you listen to Lonely You? That was the one that sounded like the Beach Boys. Mm. That is, we couldn't pull that off live. <laughs> it was so, you know... Ah, it's like holy crap there's no way <laughs> so that was way overproduced you know but it had that california feel to it that made it necessary i guess so you have four lead quality vocalists but you said you didn't try to you weren't putting like giant muppet harmonies you know live over giant distorted guitars like that is hard to actually mix and have sound reasonable we didn't want to be try and be queen all the time you know <laughs> <laughs> Only one song. And was- queen is not even queen all the time. Queen, no, queen exactly. is not queen live any of the time. It's no, exactly. We wanted to be able to pull most of the stuff off live, but that song we just couldn't do. It was Greg's high falsetto and the layered harmonies was just too much. I haven't actually tried any of those. Uh, yeah, Queen and actually the Cars was the same technique that it was like instead of having everybody sing their own part like you would live and have a harmony that way. It's everybody sing the low part. Right. Now everybody sing the middle part. Now everybody sing, So for sure, it's never going to sound that way live because you're never going to have 16 right, people. True. You know, it's not necessarily even that you're not even picking like where everybody sings the best in terms of their pitch. It's <laughs> its own studio monster. But 44 Days is just a stripped down, you know, John Bon Jovi always said, you know, if you, if you can't play it on acoustic, then you shouldn't be playing it. So it was started off, you know, acoustic and then we just layered it from there. Well, yeah, and seeing that as an acoustic duet with you and Greg, like it still works. And you're doing like the simplest possible standing up there with a drum and a cymbal, and the riff is tut tut. Right. Actually, uh, Cracker said, you know, you can't play full band when you're opening for us. So they stripped us down. Oh, 
Well, <laughs> so that was the first time we've ever tried something like that. And <laughs> there were some songs where it didn't work, but I mean, a lot of the songs did. So Okay. <laughs> well. yeah. You know, there was no bass drum, so you can't really feel the backbeat of it, you know. So I don't know. It's just some of it sounded really empty. So I guess returning to this ongoing theme, like with Dutch Henry, just due to, I guess, Greg's preferences in writing style and sort of the image of the band, you've developed like, okay, we are a country inflected band. And now we're establishing with Star Darts our identity as more of a Green Day-ish power pop thing or something. Is it just a matter of, is Carterson committed to the the alt-country thing? Or is it just like, it's only three songs you've only done. (laughs) And now you have nobody else telling you, like you have to stick to a particular style, I guess, other than maybe this label that you just signed with if you're gonna do more through them i mean do you have a big oh yeah i've got these soul numbers that i wrote and i don't know what to do with them and so i'm not gonna no i definitely haven't done any of that stuff yet even though i'm right down the road from detroit i still don't i'm not a very big soul writer but uh i don't know i'll probably stick with this it's easy it's not i wouldn't say it's easy to write it but i mean it's easier for me to sit back with an acoustic guitar instead of a marshall stack you know so sure and i just want to be real you know i want to be as real as possible i don't want to i don't know i don't need big pyro or anything i just want to be real but yet part of being real then is let's get a really good steel player to come in and layer on we're going to hear our our fourth song hearts on the highway which is the single right that's a david feeney on pedal steel and brad rice on from keith Thurman, ryan adams who played the electric parts on that David Feeney has played with Loretta Lynn, but what does that mean? Did he play once with Loretta Lynn, or was he touring with Loretta Lynn for 10 years? What is that? He played on the um, Grammy Award-winning record that um, ah. Jack White did. So was this a contact a guy over the internet and offer him money, and, or did you have some private... I contacted a buddy. I'm like, who can I get you know, around here? And he said, this guy, and he owns a recording studio in Detroit. Mm-hmm. So I sent him the song, and he liked the song, and he said, what do you want me to do? I said, I don't know. Just do whatever you want to do. <laughs> so he sent me like three tracks of three different takes, you know, and I picked out the one that I liked. And I even cut and pasted a couple parts that, I don't know, just felt like they should repeat themselves, you know, so I did that myself. Yeah, it's always a, when you're working with either people over the Internet or, you know, basically in this setup, you could use anybody in the world that you want to. Like, it's better if they're local and you can get together and kind of actually oversee that but even on this you say he just did the parts on his own and sent them to you right yeah i was supposed to have jody porter from fountains of wayne play on the ah. three songs but um he was just too much out of my price range so it was cool to connect with him you know and talk to him on the phone for hours and hours and hours but at the end of the day i just couldn't afford him no i had the same thing a couple of years ago i wrote a country song so i was trying to find a steel player and i knew somebody you know friend of a friend who who owned a studio and uh you know was going to charge me 500 bucks for the song like Right. No, I'll just find somebody. I found somebody in Britain who just did it for free, just because. Exactly. But it wasn't steel. It was. It wasn't quite. It, it wasn't the same thing. So it's got. Right. You got to kind of make your. How much am I going to roll the dice in terms of? I mean, do you expect to make your cost back on these, or is the cost is so low that it's not even an issue? The cost is really low. You know, when I contacted Brad Rice, he's like, you know, I'll do it for. 50 bucks and then i'll give the engineer another 50 bucks so i was like sweet you know brad rice from ryan adams that i saw on letterman and i thought holy cow that guy looks cool (laughs) and are you even having cds printed or is it really just the having it mastered and the 50 bucks to put it on cd baby like that's the the production cost yeah i haven't 
done any CDs yet. You know, I've looked into it, but don't do it. I got 200 CDs. I have most of them still in boxes. I can't get rid of the damn things. Yeah. I threw out like 500 Stardart CDs, you know, it's oh, like, why? whatever. That's uh <laughs> That's a decision to, to actually dispose of your nicely packaged music when you're thinking like 15 years ago, I would have killed to have right. a CD that looks like this that I did all myself. And now like, they just don't fit in my apartment. Right. I, don't know. I got one hanging on my wall. That's good enough. <laughs> you can just wallpaper the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. Yep. All right. So thank you for, with this Hearts on the Highway, you took the challenge and did a video explanation of this. So we'll get a little more of the story, but give the short version for folks so we can uh, have that out there before we send send you on your way. Gee, I don't even remember what I said in the explanation. <laughs> well, don't now. even worry about it. Make it up a new thing. <laughs> it's a road song. That's what I remembered. It's a stalker song about um, ah. stalking an actress. And for some reason, I just always thought Suzanne Summers for some reason. So I used Suzanne as the character of the song. <laughs> okay. So I don't know why I thought of her, but must have been watching Three's Company or something. Well, it's a surprisingly <laughs> not creepy feel for a right, stalker exactly. song. Then it was always just the love of road songs. And oh, yeah, there was a Fountains of Wayne song called Road Song that mm. I tried to emulate on that. I don't know. Just a feel good road song. When you put it on, that's what it sounds like. <laughs> Something to drive to. Cool. Well, any sort of final inspirational words? Here? I can't really think of anything. You know, I just appreciate you having me on doing this. And, you know, I'm just going to continue writing and recording. And hopefully one of these songs will take off, even though this day and age is really rare for anything to happen. Yeah. What does that even mean for it to take off? I guess, I did it no get in the commercial? Are you, are you doing the like reverb nation or whatever, that, you know, where you're submitting to opportunities and paying 10 bucks a slot to, to get it considered for various things? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have that big of a budget. <laughs> the $10. Yes. Yes. Well, I, you know, I did that a couple times and then yeah. like, eh. <laughs> I, know. I don't know if it's worth my effort here. Right. Played South by Southwest a couple times and, you know, you got to pay the submission fee and everything for that. And then you got to get your butt down there. And it's so expensive. And then you get lost in the shuffle of 500 bands, you know, but it's, it's a great experience. But yeah, I lived in Austin to 1994 to, to 99. We did submit a couple years or 95, 99, uh, submit a couple years for that. Yeah. We had heard that like, oh, it's just, it's just uh, as far as the in-town crowd, it's just like who the organizers know. Right. I did the dumb thing of like actually writing that in our submission, like prove to us that it's not just the people you know that will get into this by letting us in. We did not get into that. We, <laughs> we did the, one of the alt shows where like we're having a show at the same time. Right. People should come, but they, you don't have to have it. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. I think the other reason we got on it is because our label had a showcase, obviously, and then our management had a showcase another year. So other than that, I'm sure we would have not even been chosen, you know? Well, it's great that you've got the resume so you can get considered by some of these things. I don't know if that... Right. Right. If that even matters anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I'm such a skeptic these days. It's like, whatever. All right. Well, good luck to you. I really enjoyed uh, listening to your stuff, and I hope people enjoy Hearts on the Highway. Thanks, Mark.
Well, thanks so much to Todd Long. If you live in Michigan, maybe the Grand Rapids area, go look for his acoustic solo shows. And he's also playing some shows with the Verve Pipe. You can get all the specifics at toddlongmusic.com. If you check out nakedlyexaminedmusic.com and the blog post associated with this episode, I will link to some of these various bands he's been in live, so you can have that experience. And by all means, track down some of those old albums. Dutch Henry, in particular, I think is just a great find of a band. I may well have to track down Greg Miller at some point, so we can hear more of them. But man oh man, before you hear anything like that, I sure have a good parade of guests coming up including next time Daniel Ash from Love and Rockets and Bauhaus, Robbie Folks, a really great, clever country songsmith. And for episode 37, I just recorded an interview with Nick Kershaw, absolutely brilliant songwriter. So please go subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating or review while you're there. Go like the Facebook page. I'd love to hear from you if you have suggestions for guests, comments about the show, whatever. You can reach me at mark at nakedlyexaminedmusic.com or just go read more about me and my music at marklint.com. Until next time, keep on musicin'. This is Mark Lintonmeyer signing off.